Hello and welcome back to the Business of Show Business podcast with me, your host, Jamie Boddy. Unpacking the skills needed for the entertainment and creative industries and celebrating those already in them. I'm so excited to introduce to you the first guest on season four of the Business of Show Business podcast. I'm joined today by JBR, a creative agent, manager and writer. I'm sure you will agree that this episode is almost career changing. There's points where you're probably going to want to stop, pause and just digest what they said. For me, I found it to be quite therapeutic myself. They really go into the relationship between a creative and their agent and how that can benefit both parties. Also, they really explore the idea of following what makes you happy. It's okay to veer off of the creative path that you thought your career would take. I'm sure you will find this episode really helpful, so let's get on with the show. Today on the Business of Show Business podcast, I'm joined by a manager, writer and agent, JBR. How are you doing, JBR? I'm good. Good to see you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And thank you for taking the time out of your day, because I know you kind of do, you do so much. And one of the things I love about what I've heard about you from friends and on social media is that you become, you're like a mentor to a lot of creatives as well, whether that was by choice or a byproduct. So I know you invest a lot of time and energy into creatives. Um, it, it, it's strange because primarily I'm an agent and primarily that's what I'm known as, as an agent. But one of the questions that I always get asked in an interview is how many clients do you have? And this is one of the things, because I always think, oh God, should I tell them about everybody that I mentor as well? Because there's a, oftentimes I will meet a particularly younger graduates and, and younger people in the industry and they're not right for me. They're not right for my book. Um, I, I, and I just, I kind of end up sort of just being at the end of an email or the end of a phone call and just mentoring them throughout the process. And it, it kind of goes, one, you know, sometimes they do end up as clients. I have I have one client that, that I mentored for five years um, almost. Um, and, but yeah, I, I was it intentional? <laughs> no, but nothing in my life has ever been intentional. And that, that's, that's, that's one of the things that, that's one of my kind of, you asked me in, in the email, what, what inspires me and stuff. It is that, it's that openness and, and not having, I know a lot of people talk about goals and plans and I, I've never had that. Um, and yet I've managed to achieve everything that I ever wanted to do. Um, and I'm a great believer in, in, in going with the flow of the universe and seeing where that takes you. And right now, this is, that's where it's taken me. It's taken me to agenting and mentoring and teaching. Um, again, something I love doing. And I think you've hit such a, um, a juicy topic there of goal setting. Like, yes, it's important to have that forward momentum and maybe um, to learn what skills you do need and where you're employable. But I think sometimes it's true. Some people set such strict goals that maybe it's actually closes them off to seeing the bigger picture or seeing opportunities do you find that sometimes with creators where they're like I just want to be in the West End or I just want to tour or I just want to release an album but actually maybe that slightly closes them off I I, I think there are as many different ways of being creative and of managing a creative career as there are creatives so and I'm, I'm always quite clear that anything that I ever say is just my experience you know it, it and that is necessarily my experience is, is limited. You know, it, it, I haven't worked in very many other countries. I, I, I'm, I'm still relatively young. Um, so my experience is fairly limited. But in, in that, within that experience, I have often found that the people that have those goals and are very focused on those goals, um, they do achieve them and that's wonderful. But then there is immediately afterwards, there is that moment of, oh gosh, what next? And I think what I would like to do is if, if you are the type of person that finds that sort of very specific goal setting, like I want to be in the West End, I want to write a book, I want to um, sell a screenplay. If you are very specific in, in, in those goals, always have in your mind, and then I want to, and then I want to. But I think for me, the key in, in any goal setting and in any planning and in any management of a career is the ability and the flexibility to be able to chuck it all out and start all over again. 
Um, and I've done that in my own career and in my own life many, many times. And it is terrifying. And the older you get, the, the, le the less likely you are to kind of go, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give all of this up. But for me, that is what has always kept it fresh and frightening and exciting for me. And I think I have had the most success with people that, whose careers I manage when they have the same attitudes. Um, I, I've met wonderful people that have said to me, um, I want to be in the Book of Mormon, um, or I want to be in Wicked, or I want to be in a film. And, and what has happened is we have worked on that flexibility so that when the opportunity comes up to do um, something that maybe write something, something that they hadn't considered. I have one client at the moment who's about to direct for the first time. Um, and while it is something that they have never done before, it is something that has always been at the back of their mind and they are now in a position where they are embracing the flexibility of their creativity rather than being very focused on, on getting into a West End show. And I think I've had the most success when I work with people who have that flexibility in their approach. You can kind of go, oh, well, yes, I did say I wanted to be in the Book of Mormon, but actually doing left-wing puppet theatre in Belarus does kind of sound interesting when you put it like that. Um, and they go off and they do that. The example I always use is, is Lady Gaga, who, when she won um, uh, her first acting award, everyone was like, oh, so you're an actress now, are you? And her response, I thought, was wonderful. I, I use it all the time. It's like, she said, I, I, all, I was always an actress, but music worked out before acting did. And now I'm just circling around. And I found that so often people, um, when you step, and I've written about this, the, the Red Riding Hood um, um, theory, that there's, there's people who think that Red Riding Hood is a cautionary tale that you should never leave the path and you should get where you're going and, and um, get to grandma with, with the cakes. And there are people that think that um, Red Riding Hood is an adventure story of a girl who strays from the path and finds all kinds of scary, exciting and wonderful things in the woods and it changes her in some way. Um, and I, th I like working with people that see the woods as something to go off for a wander in rather than the path as being something that they like to stay on. What a gorgeous analogy. I love that. And it's this that whole I'm so glad it made sense. <laughs> yeah, it did. I was just lit. I was like making notes. I'm like, Red Riding. No, it was perfect. I think it's and it will resonate a lot with listeners, especially as the world comes out of the pandemic into whatever every industry was impacted, but the entertainment industry particularly was hit very hard. So people have swapped careers that word that was going around pivot whether that was a short-term pivot or long term so I think everything you said there will resonate a lot with people and I love the fact you use the word creative because you aren't just a singer dancer actor presenter producer like you can be creative in so many ways and how do you as an agent how do you receive that if you have a client come to you then who may have another passion they want to perceive because I know some people feel scared to have that conversation with their agent I, I understand that. And, and let's be blunt, agenting is a business. And I, as a business, make money from clients who are working and paying commission. Um, I don't make money from potential. Um, if, if we boil it down to actual hard facts, I only make money if you're working. So I understand that, that people may, be, may feel uncomfortable saying to their agent, I need to take six months off because I have an urge to travel. I have an urge to write a book. I'm pregnant, um, I'm moving house and it's just too much stress to think about auditioning at the moment. And essentially what you're saying is, I'm not gonna be earning any money for you for a while. And I think people think that that's a frightening thing to say to an agent. I love it because it means people are understanding what, what, what's one of the basic, for me, one of the basic tenets of life is that we are human beings first. Life comes first and everything else just has to fit into that. Um, you can't fit your life into an acting career. You'll be so unhappy and so stressed and you will miss out on so many of the wonderful things that, that are happening around you um, if you are trying to fit everything into an acting career. If it's the other way around and you say, well, I'm, you know, I want to, I want to get pregnant. I want to get married. I want to move house. I want to go on holiday. I want to earn money in a day job that respects me and is paying me a salary. That's what I need right now. I think for me, that's exciting because that is when a creative starts to step into their own power. 
and starts to understand that it's their career and it's their journey. And at the end of, end of your life, you're not going to sit back. You're going to sit back and look on all the different memories that you've created. I'm a really strong believer in, and it gets a bit woo-woo here at this point, but in that I am a spiritual being having a human experience. Um, and, and, I, and I really think that if I take that seriously, what that means is I need to have as many experiences as I can while I'm on this planet for the 70 slash 80 years, which is an extraordinarily short time um, to be anywhere. And I need to embrace as many different opportunities and as many different experiences as I can. And it's for me, that's the journey of creativity um, returning to that childlike play where anything is possible and you can do anything and nobody says no. Um, when you're a kid and I want to bring it all creatives back to that experience of if if you couldn't fail if money was no object if nobody ever said no what would you do with your life um, and actually there's very few people when you ask them that and when you phrase it in that way there's very few people that say all I want to do is be in one West End show um, it suddenly starts to open up and there's something, well, I'd really like to design my own range of fashion. I'd really like to, to be a shoe designer. I'd like to create great pieces of art. I'd like to make films. I'd like to podcast. I'd like to do all kinds of different things. And I think when you kind of say, well, that is your creativity. And the, for me, the most important thing is that we learn to express our creativity. Um, and that means that we trust that if it means something to us, if it is authentic to us, it will connect to somebody else and it cannot please everybody and it will never be finished. It's an ongoing journey. I almost want to encourage people to like pause the podcast, digest that process because you're, you are inadvertently asking questions in such a unintrusive way to make people back to like, what does make me happy? Am I pursuing the right path at the moment? And I think you're a testament that the, to whatever you do adds to your character, it adds to your skill set. So if you had a client, I presume, who said, hang on a minute, for the next two months, I'm going to do a screen acting course, or I want to learn audio engineering, or I just want to break. That makes them a better product for you to push and sell once they find their way back onto the path. Would you say that's kind of the case? I would say that's absolutely the case. Um, and that's why I like, I've had some clients who've been with me for, for the entire journey of my agenting career, for, so for seven years. And when you when you see uh, an actor's career in that respect, when you're looking back over such you know seven years is not the longest period in the world, but it's a long time to take a 19 year old and still be working with them seven years later, and to see how they are evolving and changing physically, mentally, spiritually, how they change, how the things that they were once in love with don't matter as much to them. It's an extraordinary process, and I'm very privileged. Um, to be able to do it with my clients, to be able to watch their creative journey and to encourage that. The last thing I want is somebody who's hell-bent on being in Wicked and spends eight years trying to get into Wicked um, and is, is, is obsessed with it and is because they're unhappy. I want my clients to be happy because they bother me less when they're happy. And if that means go, write that script, take that holiday, you need it. Um, whatever it is that you need to do that's going to fulfill you and enrich you as a person that's way more important to me than worrying about your next acting role or where that's coming from that, that's great and I think you, I love how you're champion like you've been a champion of be you first and you happen to be a performer or that's your passion and again I think people they feel if they take their eye off the prize or they give their time or energy to something else that maybe they won't be where they think they should be or where they think the industry thinks they should be. So what advice would you give to someone then who is maybe thinking, it could be still in the industry, but they're slightly segueing to a different area of it or they want time off. What advice would you give to someone who kind of has that itch that they want to scratch? I think you actually just said it, Jamie, when you said be you first. And I think if you, if you were to ask any actor, any, any, anybody um, in, in our industry, um, what, what advice do you receive the most? It's that. Be yourself. Just be you. Just be you. We just want you. And nobody tells you how. And it's the hardest bloody thing. Because as you finished just then with your question, we are constantly thinking, but what do you want me to be? 
And for goodness sake, actors are probably the worst at it because that's their job, to be other people, to inhabit other stories and other lives. But for me, it does come down to be you first. And I think that's the work. I think that's the important work. Um, working out who you are and what makes you happy and keep checking in with that because that's going to change in a year. That's going to change 18 months into a pandemic. That's going to change after five years of knocking around West End show to West End show. That's going to change after seven years of working the touring circuit. Um, your, what you want and what makes you happy is, is a constant constantly in motion and constantly moving and I honestly think the only thing that that you can do is to lean into it um, and just kind of go I I always liken this back to when you one of the questions I always ask in an interview Jamie is I always 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 ask what's your first memory of being creative and whether that's you know singing at Christmas to your family or a a, a nativity show at school or, or a talent contest or, or making something, sitting down and making a piece of art. What's your first memory? And then we work forwards from there. And usually, often, what I will find is that people start to unlearn everything they've learned at drama school. So, and they start to bring it back to why they wanted to do it in the first place. There are some people who say, oh, my first memory is, is of applause, I remember applause, or of being laughed at. Some people talk about finding a community for the first time, of being part of a group of people all working towards the same thing. Other people talk about it being, um, their, their memory being tied up with the first time that they were ever heard as a person or felt that they were heard or felt that they were seen. These are all extraordinarily powerful first sort of sparks, I call them. And I constantly think that creatives need to remind themselves of what that first spark was when they're unhappy. It's like, okay, so I'm banging around in the ensemble of a West End show that I've been in for three years and I, I ain't feeling it. I, I don't know why. Why am I not feeling it? Think about why you wanted to do this in the first place. It may be that actually being part of a community, being part of a crowd, wasn't your thing. You may have been, it may have been applause for you and you might need to be a little bit more in the spotlight. And, and so maybe you need to do some solo cabarets. You need to do something that's going to light, relight that spark and make you fall back in love with this. Drama schools are wonderful, but drama schools teach you how to be a drama school actor. And very often what they do is they take away that first spark, that first love, and they say, that's lovely, but this is how you're going to get on in this industry. This is what you need to do in order to, to be success in this industry. And I think that's wonderful, but I think you always need to bring it back to your own truth and your own authenticity and your own reasons for doing this. You may want to tour schools and work with young people and inspire the next generation. If your agent thinks you need to be in a West End show earning x amount of money you are going to be unhappy doing that because it's 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 away from what you wanted but life is is you know there's a lot of time to do things you don't have to do everything in the first year or five years or 10 years after graduation you can take your time over it there's no point in rushing something that you want to last forever I feel like that's the second point to pause the podcast and reflect because again posted those big questions of what does what did spark that moment of joy or that moment you realized and I find although I still occasionally perform working more now as like an entertainment journalist when I interview people at press events or backstage when I'm interviewing them as them they they clam up they feel a bit awkward in front of the camera because they're so used to as actors being a character told where their direction is and when I'm like no I just want to like strip it back how are you doing in this moment how was rehearsals for you I quite often see actors be like oh Oh, okay, like this is quite exposing. Just taking a quick moment to pause halfway through episode one of season four of the Business of Show Business podcast. I'm sure you would agree with me that JBR is awesome, such a kind, generous human being, sharing so much value and is making you feel calm about the craziness that is the entertainment industry. I found this episode so helpful to record, so I really hope you're enjoying it. And if you are enjoying the podcast episode, don't forget to go and give it a review on the platform you are listening to it on right now. Later on in the episode, we do share JBR's contact details, so do stay tuned. Now back on with the show. What, what we do as 
anything creative is exposing and that's uh, Sir Ken Robinson who is one of the greatest writers of, of, of this generation on creativity who sadly passed last year but he always said that the education system in this country it doesn't educate you into creativity it educates you out of creativity um, and I that really resonates with me as, as somebody who I was, I was bright at school and I, I, I flew through exams, and I flew through my schoolwork, but I did it because I wasn't there a lot. I was in rehearsals um, for, for shows in the West End and I did that for like my entire school career. I was out of school quite a lot. Um, and I think that there are people for whom English, maths, history, the, the traditional curriculum subjects, they do not bring out the best in them. Somebody at some point sat down and said, maths, English, these are more important than singing, dancing, movement. I'm, I don't know why, I don't, and I don't know why, and, and science doesn't back that up either. So it, it baffles me that instead of inspiring and, and having a creativity curriculum in schools and inspiring, we're all born creative. And it, it's very telling that that, for, that question that I asked about your first memory, that memory always comes from a point of about three, four, very rarely older than five years old. And I think it's around about the time that we go to school that we start being told, oh, that's wrong. Oh, little boys shouldn't do that. Little girls shouldn't be interested in that. Um, don't show off. Children should, be, this was a big one for me growing up. Children should be seen and not heard. Um, and I think what all of that is doing, we must sit in rows and we must learn this today and then tomorrow we must learn this. And by the end of the week, we must have achieved this target in English, in maths, in, in everything else. And we lose play. And what we're essentially saying to, to, young, to children growing up is that their creativity is not as valuable as their skill in maths, as their skill in English, as their skill in... And I, I worry about that because what happens as we get older and we see this happening is governments start to cut money towards the arts and towards the creative industries because they see no value in it because we are not training people in it. We are training people to be scientists. We are training people to, to work in a Victorian, in an academic cerebral world that does not exist anymore. Um, the education system needs a massive, massive overhaul, in my opinion. I don't know how we got onto that. <laughs> no, and it's great because um, I've done some NLP training myself, and I know there's lots of other coaches that listen. And it, part of the big practice there is the power of words, and especially, as you said, up until the age of seven, you're so you're like a sponge, and whether you mean to or not, you absorb. So if a if a parent does say to you like you can't do that, or you won't be able to do that, or even the idea of like money doesn't grow in grow on trees you then build up that, oh, money, the scarcity, I don't deserve this, I can't ask for the pay rise. So I think it's, it is really important. And another theme you touched on there was, I don't know any creative that just does one thing. And whether they happen to be academically amazing or really good at sports or baking or something alongside being creative, and it kind of goes full circle back to what you were saying was just trying to be present and lean into it, that if your skill, if you've got other skills you want to, you want to utilise that you've, you've not been able to as a performer, like it's okay to, to exercise that muscle. And as I was, you know, when somebody says to me, I'm thinking of doing a personal training course, or I'm thinking of, of, of just taking a year out and doing a PGCE in, in primary teaching. I always just think how wonderful, how wonderful that you might be able to find something that you love, express yourself creativity, um, creatively and earn money from it. How wonderful is that? And then that kind of gets me thinking, why, why is it that the second you say, I want to be an actor, um, the, the first thing you will hear is you'll never earn money, you'll never be able to make a living, it's such a hard life, you'll always be able to work. We literally start to tell people, as soon as they start to express themselves creatively, that they cannot earn money. As if earning money is the, is the only mark of success as a creative, or, or in anything, in fact. That's I've never looked at it like that. And the fact of, I have friends, as I'm sure you do, who have become personal trainers or that is their passion, but that's still that freelance life. You have to find clients, you have to rent the gym space. So that hustle is exactly the same as being a performer, but yet that's celebrated or accepted more as a, a chosen career path. I've literally never thought of it like that until this moment. And I'm like, that's- so I think true. it's all connected with, with why, 
why creative? A lot of creatives go to drama school. Um, and I think it, it's because we have that first spark and we're like, oh my God, applause. Okay, that, that made me feel good. And instead of kind of going, here is an industry of creatives where I can feel like this every day, but I don't have to be on stage. I could do this and oh, it makes me feel the same. But we don't, we, we, we get that first spark and we think, I don't know how to get into this industry. I don't know how to be part of that world. And the first thing that we see, the first entry that we see is our television in the corner of the living room or in our bedroom on our phones. We see actors and we kind of go, that's how I get into it. I become an actor. That's how I get to become part of this industry. And I think, and I work with a lot of people who graduate from three-year acting courses and don't want to act. They want to design, they want to produce, they want to direct. And, but even with them, there's always that kind of, oh yeah, I wasted my time on an acting course. I'm not a very good actor, I'm much better director. I think we should, we should see creativity as a study in itself rather than it's the study to become an actor and there, therefore if you do not then come full circle and I do not see you back on my screen in the corner of my room, then you failed as an actor. There are thousands and thousands of actors who will never be on TV and never want to, but who are working, who are earning money, who are paying their bills and who are doing what they love. And I think we need to, to really look at our definition of success and something that Michaela Cole said in her, in her speech, and I'm taking this out of context, it was an extraordinary speech, but she, the, the, speaking about being invisible for a while, taking the time away from things to be silent. And as social media has risen, we're seeing this more and more and more, that visibility, busyness, being constant, and I, you know, I can't really talk, but being constantly on Twitter, being constantly on social media, being constantly visible and loud and seen is not always the best thing. Sometimes the greatest work and the greatest realizations come in the silence when we step away from that. And I thought that was so powerful of Michaela Cole to say that on that platform, to say, don't be afraid to step away because I see it all the time. Social media leads to us comparing ourselves to other people constantly. And comparison is, as, as I think it was Eleanor Roosevelt who said, comparison is the thief of joy. It's not only the thief of joy, it's the enemy of creativity. It's the enemy of creativity. I think it's so easy in our world of entertainment and culture and the arts to confuse busy with success, isn't it? And it's one of the most toxic traits I find is this, you have to appear to be busy, but then equally available and you can't be both. And it's like, look at me, I'm always working, but I will, I can still do your job. And it's, it's so hard to find that balance, especially if you're newer to the industry or even later, later in life, but you're transitioned into it at a late point. So I think what you've said there will hopefully make a lot of performers pause, take a breath, take their foot off the accelerator a bit and be like, it's okay to be where I am right now. Yeah. There's a word that that has in our industry has become very negative connotations and, and resting. We always kind of talk about, we used to talk about resting all the time, like with actors when I was, you know, growing up and it's like, oh, I'm resting at the moment. And then it kind of became, you know, oh, I'm, no, they're, and it became a sort of joke. Um, I think we re need to reclaim that. Um, and I think we can tie that in with the, you know, the growth in personal, in training and in fitness and in wellness and say muscles only grow during the rest period. You wouldn't go and work out in the gym seven days a week and, and not expect to absolutely kill your body. You need the rest days in order for the muscles to grow and come back. When clients ring me on the last day of a job and say, what's next? And I go, next, you rest. The idea that to be successful, you must go from job to job to job to job. It's insane. And actually, you're not, you need to kind of take the rest period and embrace the rest period and grow. That's when your muscles grow. That's when you digest what emotional, physical, spiritual, what you just went through on the show or the film or the, the whatever it was, the, or the painting that you made. Any creativity requires a period at the end of it where you rest and you allow yourself to grow and you recover from whatever it was that happened and process. If you're, if you're not giving yourself resting time, I really worry about that. And I worry about this busyness and this visibility and, and this 
because I did it when I was an actor, I would go from job to job to job to job to job. Very few of them ever moved me on. Most of them cost me in some respect. Um, and I, I was burning out. It was only in the power of saying, no, I need time for me. I'm going to turn that one down. Um, because there are very few life-changing jobs out there, really. And actually, you very rarely notice the life-changing moment. Um, you kind of, it's, it's years later when you go, oh my God, it wasn't the film. It was when I went on, it was the decision to go on holiday. And that's when I bumped into the producer. That's what it was. It was the decision. There's very few life-changing jobs. So, you know, don't, don't focus on the life-changing stuff. Focus on the life. One of my biggest... Um goals or mantras for this year is by saying yes what are you saying no to further down the line and I'm really trying to retrain myself to be like again you don't always have to be available and if I say yes to this opportunity that may tick a few boxes for me but doesn't have the whole package that might say I might be saying no to my health no to my spare time no to another job further down the line so I think it is finding that balance isn't it of where do you sit going back to what you said earlier about being a human first and a performer and finding that marriage, which takes time, it's not a race. Um, but no, I absolutely loved everything you said there. I do want to get cracking and talk about your book. Oh, yes. Getting, keeping and working with your acting agent, the compact guide, writing a book. That's that in itself, even before getting it published, must have been a beast to, how was that for you? When did you think, hang on a minute, I'm going to give, let's write a book. Let's see how that goes. Um, this is one of the things that we've touched on a little bit that I had when I was a kid, there were three things I wanted to do. I wanted to be a teacher, I wanted to be an actor, and I wanted to be a writer. Um, and the day that the book contract came through it was, it was one of those moments for me where I just went, oh, fuck, I, I've done all three now. That, now what? Now, what do I do next? And of course, next, I, I then had to actually write the book. Um, <laughs> That kind of came about, I, 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 I um, email my clients um, on a regular, it's, it's been less actually this year since the pandemic, because there was a period during the pandemic when I was just emailing them misery. I just thought nobody needs to hear me week after week saying there's nothing happening, there's no work out there, there's no jobs, nobody needs that, I don't need that. So it's become a little less, a little more sporadic um, um, this year, but I when I started as an agent seven years ago, I, I started writing an email to my clients every Friday. Um, and I would send an, an email to my entire client list every Friday, which was just, it was essentially a blog in email form. And when I set up, I'd always kind of thought, there's something in, in this blog, I'm not, I, I don't know, could it be something? And there wasn't anything around um, and I approached a, a couple of publishers and suggested it and one of them said oh we've got something very similar in the works and the other one never got back to me and and and, and the third one said it's, it's it's interesting but it's a bit niche um, and then what, what year are we 20 in 2019 um, Nick Hearn emailed me and asked if they could take me for lunch and I, I went for lunch with uh, Nick Hearn Books and we, we talked about this book and we talked about what what the book could be that the blogs hadn't been so while the blogs were kind of the kicking off point for it and, and the general idea that there might be a, a need or a, a market for for actors wanting to, to kind of learn a little bit more about my side of the industry the book then kind of became much more about uh, empowering people to to have the relationship with an agent that they want that works for them rather than as we discussed at the beginning being scared to call somebody up or being scared to speak to somebody it, it was about how to lay the parameters to have that kind of relationship um what to do when it's working well what to do when it's not working well um and how to get one because of course that's you know there's a lot of focus on that in the industry but we also wanted it to be you don't need one um, this is what an agent does, and if you feel strong enough and you're confident enough, you can do this yourself. But also a look towards what might be happening in the future and how agenting is going to change as the industry changes and as people become more inclined to be multi-platform creatives. 
um, how that's going to change agenting and how that's going to change how agents and actors work together. So that, that was the, the kind of impetus. And then it was just fortunate that, well, it wasn't fortunate that a pandemic hit, but it just so happened that the pandemic hit and I had a year um, where I could write this book that, you know, I wasn't being interrupted by 150 breakdowns and phone calls and emails and things that I needed to do. I had time, I had rest from being an agent in order to write the book. Um, and it helped clarify a lot of things that were happening for me in my life at the time as well. Um, it came out, how it came out was, was different to how it was conceived, I think. I, I think it was conceived as a, here are do's and don'ts and this is what you should do and what you should do. Um, but all through the book, I'm very, very clear to say, this is just my opinion. Um, if this isn't working for you, throw it away. You know, you've spent seven quid on the book that that's two cop that's a coffee and a donut in Soho. So you know, it, no no big loss if it doesn't help. But I'm quite clear all the way through that there are no do's and don'ts. Your journey is your journey, and it's as unique and individual as you are. And it it I hope that the book is empowering people to realise that the relationship with an agent is part of um, what they do. It's not the be all. It's not the end all. And if you're not happy with how it's being managed. There are hundreds and hundreds of other agents out there that you can find the, the one that is right for you, which will not be the same as the one that is right for your flatmate or for your best mate or for your friend. Um, and forgive me if I say this and it offends, but what I've found in my past is that actually having an agent where you don't have a good relationship is actually worse than not having an agent at all because it's of neither benefit to either of you. Um, is that something you would kind of say as well that, as you said, like find the right agent and have you had that moment as an agent where you've maybe had to say to someone like, you're great, but you're not the right fit for me. I think you should look here, here and here. Or I think it's time that we spread our wings and go separate ways. I think um, there are absolutely times when it's not working out. Um, and we cover that in the book. We talk about why it might not be working out. And, but we also talk about what it is that the, the actor or the creative wants that they're not getting. If you want a lot of, if you are looking for volume of auditions, you know, if you're looking for quantity of auditions, then an agent who is very focused on quality of auditions is maybe going to frustrate you. If, you, if your friends are out auditioning for a, Tesco and various commercials every day in the week and got two fringe um, auditions and, and, and they're busy auditioning and you're going in once a month for a feature film or for a TV, that might frustrate you. If you're focused on, on quantity rather than quality, that might frustrate you. Equally, if you're focused on quality and you're getting a, a, a number of auditions that you just don't care about, that might frustrate you. So there's, there's any number of reasons why an, age, an agent and an actor, might it, the relationship might not quite hit it off. It's not a question of they're not working for me or, or I'm not doing, it never comes down to I'm not, do you know what I mean? There's, there's a number of reasons. But there are times when I can't get somebody in a room and I, I can't understand it. And I've spoken to casting directors and they'll say, I think they're great. They're just not what we're looking for on this. And everything seems to work. The showreel is working. The CV is in good shape. The headshots are great. The whole package is there, but there's something for some reason. Um, and we all know this industry, there's so much of it. You can't quite put your finger on it, but for some reason it's not working. And in those instances, I'll always chat to the client and say, I am frustrated because I can't get you in the room and you must be frustrated as well because you've been with me for a year, two years and nothing is happening for you. I think what you need is a change of representation. I think you need that, that impetus and that kickstart and, and, and that's how I would let somebody go. I think the only other reason that I would now that I'm on my own and I, I, I can make my own choices, my own decisions, I think the only other reason that I would let somebody go would be for bad behaviour um, um, or something that was, was out of, of line with my own personal ethos because my, my company is me. So my company's ethos is my personal ethos. And I think if I was, uh, um, which is why I don't kind of, I don't approach people. I think I work best with people that have found me um, because, yeah, you know, I don't really think that I would, I would, I, I don't ask, we don't talk politics, but I don't think I would get on very well with somebody who was, was very, very 
conservative with a capital C conservative um, and and because I'd leave people to find me it means they found me through Twitter they found me through my blog they found me through my writings and they kind of know who I am and what I'm about and what what excites me and what interests me um, so I, I tend to work with people that have sought me out and, and and so it does tend to work and people stick around for, for quite a while if someone listening wants to purchase your book, Getting, Keeping and Working with Your Actor and Agent, The Compact Guide, where can they purchase it from? It is published by Nick Hearn Books. So it is available from the Nick Hearn website. Uh, it's available wherever Nick Hearn sell books. So there is bookshops and it's available from Amazon and all good bookshops. <laughs> <laughs> like you've never had to deliver that before. <laughs> That's actually the first time. I'm very bad at promoting myself. I'm kind of like, I wrote the book and I'd, I'd quite like it if, if the book just sold really, really well without me having to do any promo for it. Be because it's very personal to me and it begins with, you know, who I am and why I'm doing this and, and where my journey began in, in this industry. The whole book is, is actually, if, if you kind of read beyond the three paragraphs when writing to an agent don't have a, a montage on your showreel if you if you read down deeper beyond that sort of advice it's actually quite a personal manifesto for what i think and what i hope the industry could be no i absolutely love that and i think it will it seems like a book that i wish i had when i was graduating many years ago and that's why i wrote it i wrote it because I wished that I had I had had something like that when when I was when I was starting out as a, as a graduate. A key takeaway I'm getting from you is that you do trust the timing of your life, which is hard at times. So, has anything or anyone along the way inspired you to either keep on the path you're going or completely veer off somewhere else? Um, I. I'm so I, I have what, what I call a Jedi Council. Um, <laughs> and, and I think everybody should have a Jedi Council. And I don't even think that the people on your Jedi Council need to know that they're on your Jedi Council. <laughs> but, but I have and, and, and my council changes. I change it up all the time. And, and you know, um, I did have Judy Garland on there for, oh. for a bit. It was always like, what would Judy do? in this? So you can have dead people. You can have imaginary people on your Jedi Council, but not too many of them. <laughs> and I've, I've always been uh, wonderfully guided by by these people um, because I I think the the most inspirational people in my life are the people who are never still um, who are always doing something new to a you know a varying degrees of success I'm gonna hold my hand I'm I'm you know I'm a bitchy queen when I want to be <laughs> um, and you know my friends will come around for dinner and I'll, I had a, that workout for you mm, yeah but I love people that try if you if you're not trying that's the only failure not trying and I think um I think part of it for me is I started in this industry when I was 11 and I'm 47 now. I've been doing this a very, very, well, I'm 48 and, and, and way too soon. I've been doing this a long time and I have only survived by moving on constantly and constantly trying something different and constantly trying something new. And I think that's what's really interesting about people with long careers. You look at actors in their 80s and, and they will all have writing and directing and they will all have tried their hand at a number of different things because that's how they survived you know um just be the last person standing you know just keep going and and if you need to take time and go and do something different then, then go and do something and always just be kind of open a friend of mine um who is a, a wonderful writer when i was dithering about giving up acting i just put that i realized it's a podcast i just put that in there. <laughs> heard the the wind of your <laughs> <friend there. laughs> yeah it's just because i don't like saying giving up or or you know, it, it's very negative and i think people just kind of find something else that they love and they do naturally move towards that and and i think we should encourage people to just you know do do, do more of what they love rather than being unhappy trying to do something that isn't maybe working out at this moment go away, try something different, come back to it. And that's what he said to me. He said, do you know something, darling? The industry will not stop because you decide to stop acting for a bit. The industry will keep going. 
we'll do okay without you if you take <laughs> a little bit of a break. We'll be fine. And if you want to come back, it'll still be as hard. And I thought that's that's just wonderful. Um, it's not because people often say maybe I should go away and come back when I'm 30 it'll be easier then I'm like it won't it'll be a whole different set of problems at 30 um and same at 40 same at 50 it's always going to be hard to make it in this industry um so if you want to take some time away from it go and take some time away from it it will still be here even in a pandemic that you know almost completely shuts us down we survived we still created we still made things and i think that's extraordinary and if if we talk about those life-changing moments when i'm lecturing in in schools or in drama schools or, or when i'm teaching i always say you know write everybody gets their notebooks out and i always say that's fine write write down stuff if, if you must but for me, the things that stay with you, the things that you remember when you are active and you are engaged, always much better than you scrolling back through your notes and going, what do they mean when they said eggs, blue, green? <laughs> and, and, and for me, when I think back on life-changing moments, I, I was touring in a production of My Fair Lady in Italy, and we had a day off um, while we were quite close to Pompeii. And we went to Pompeii. And I found it extraordinary seeing functional objects like bowls and mugs and plates that were so beautifully decorated. And I think that's, for me, that's what it is. We have, there is no need to make a functional object beautiful. As long as it's functional, it's doing its job. And yet human beings will go to extraordinary lengths to paint on it, to draw on it, to etch into it, to make it beautiful for no reason other than for it to be beautiful. It's a plate, it's a functional object. It can just be a flat thing. And for me, that, that was the key. And it's, that's what we do. We, as human beings, we always want to decorate, to embellish, to be creative. And I think we get stuck in a rut of, of, of putting all of our success into a job or a paycheck. Um, and I, I, that's so, yes, it's important. We need to eat, absolutely. But sometimes there, there is joy to be found in, in making something functional, beautiful. I will let you go soon, but are there any quotes or mantras that you live by or that you, you've given so many nuggets of, value in this podcast so I'm not expecting you to reel off any more but is there any that kind of resonate or stick with you or that have helped you along your journey in the arts there are so literally like there are so many I mean I'm, I'm constantly <laughs> week after week as a person I find Brené Brown's I'm not here to to be right I'm here to get it right I find that an extraordinary reset that it's very when, when we are being corrected on something that we have got wrong, language that we have used that, in, that is inappropriate, something that we have said or, or some behavior that, that we have that is incorrect or offensive in some way, and we are corrected on that, I remind myself that this is the journey of life. Um, I'm here to, to be corrected. I'm here to get things right. And uh, that's more important to me than being right all the time and, and snapping back at people. So that one I find in incredibly valuable. Um, as a creative, this, this whole bookshelf behind me that, that you probably can't see, all of these books are like studies in creativity and how to be more creative and what creativity is. I'm obsessed and, and intrigued by the study of creativity. And, and as a creative, the mantra that I keep coming back to, and God, I wish, I had it written all over the place because I need it like a thousand times a day is Twyla Tharp, um, great American choreographer, multi-hyphenate, um, has written so several books on creativity, including one fairly recently about needing to, to exercise, you know, physical movement. But Twyla Tharp says, stamp your foot and shout begin. That's all it takes. That that's that's the spark, that's the moment. And if you're feeling blocked, just stamp your foot and, and shout begin and, and just get going. Um, so that, that, that's the other one for me. Those, those two, I kind of, I'm, I'm really vacillating between on a daily basis. But in general, and the one that I would like listeners to, to come away from this is, 
is rejection is redirection. That is the, the one that I've been coming back to over the last year, time and time again, rejection is redirection. And if we can take away the negativity of rejection and just kind of go, where am I being redirected to? Um, is it to study more? Is it to practice more? Is it just that this is completely the wrong job for me and I shouldn't be, be worrying about this anymore? But always taking rejection as a redirection. And that is what opens up that curiosity that we talked about earlier. Um, and that flexibility because if you're constantly taking rejection and going okay the universe is redirecting me somewhere where is it you're constantly on the lookout for another opportunity i'm a big advocate of that myself like i the more i've got into like arts marketing um i've learned the value of data and rejection what did or didn't work you can then spot patterns and i think that is a skill that i wish all performers learn sooner rather than later to be like right what can I learn from this so I am so glad you ended on that note where can people find you online I will pop the details in our show notes but let people know where they can find you in case they want to follow you online or shoot you a message for a representation uh, the um, website is jbragent.com uh, the representation um, applications are submissions at jbragent.com and on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at JBR Agent. I'm going to go and find myself a Jedi Council. I always do. I'm not a huge Star Wars fan, but Yoda, do or do not, there is no try. I always try and embody that and be like, nope, I'm either going to do this or I'm not going to do it. Commit. So yes to the Jedi Council. Thank you so much, JBR, for your time. And I'm sure the listeners will be, your inbox is going to be pinging now from people listening to this. Thank you so much. And thank you, Jamie, and thank you for the, the, what you're doing, because what you are doing is you are encouraging people to see creativity in all its facets and in all its different um, areas. And, and, and you're opening up um, ideas of, of how we can take our creativity and go and do something else with it as well. I, I love that. What an amazing first episode to start season four of the Business of Show Business podcast on. Thank you so much, JBR, for your wisdom, your time and your energy. Make sure you check out the show notes for links to JBR's book and social media handles. If you've enjoyed the episode, do go and give it a quick five-star review, if you will, on your chosen listening platform. And I'll be back next week with another episode.